I can tell you about how our town literally smells like shit right now. <laughs> well, I mean, is it because of the refinery or is it because of the, uh, when uh, I think well, of towns that smell like shit, I remember I used to live in Virginia. So like the cow manure, when the winds, you know, they get the perfect quaff and they would coat a whole town, a little hamlet, you know, just full of, of cow shit. Uh, no, this is not, uh, it's because in addition to having a refinery in our town, there's also a water treatment plant that, um, oh joy, by hook or by crook, it wasn't, uh, it apparently wasn't an accident, which means it was intentional. Um, they just let out 17 million gallons of waste untreated right into the bay. Mm -hmm. And so now it's just sitting there. And uh, yeah, it smells delightful once the, the, the warming breeze just rolls in. Perfect. Love it. Awesome. Great. Yeah. I mean, we're, us in San Diego, we have we have quite the uh, experience with uh, contaminated sewage water <laughs> running off into our beaches. But that's next to Mexico, not because of us. <laughs> okay. Wait, they're just letting, well, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how regulations work, whatever. Again, it happened here just the other day. So well, that's the, I guess that's it, could, the thing. it could happen there's, anywhere. Yeah, that's the thing. There's nothing they can really, um, there's nothing they can really do because again, it happens from across the border. So it's like, you know, whatever sewage treatment, you know, Tijuana is trying to do, they continuously fail. And so, you know, you get a warning at like six o'clock in the morning. Don't be, hey, don't go into the water in Imperial Beach. The sewage is running off again. So... But not to the nice beaches. The La Jolla oh, beaches are no, no, of course not. Of course no. not. Where the real estate's good, thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, the real estate, it, shockingly, is also good in this town, in spite of smelling literally like <laughs> shit uh, from the water treatment plant or the refinery. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's why we're moving. Although, just the, it's not just that the market is um, literally uh, hot, hotter than most uh, California forest fires right now. Uh, <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. Yeah. Folks. Also, the process is damn complicated. So if, mm. I, if, if you want my advice, just be homeless. It's great. <laughs> Are you kidding? In California, they love it. Yeah. <laughs> we can't get enough of them. Exactly. It's, it's almost like they incentivize it for some reason. <laughs> There's a worrying trend, and um, you know we've talked a lot about the movie industry, how things have changed. A lot's changed mm -hmm. with, with these challenging times. Everything's different now. One thing that is scaring me is that movie trailers, despite all their virtues, are getting longer, and this terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> well, name an example because they've been consistently two minutes and thirty seconds. I, I think yes, with a teaser. However, with a teaser ranging between one minute and a minute thirty. Um, yes, occasionally there's the outlier, like the Cloud Atlas one that was like six minutes long. Uh, <laughs> well, that one, they, they needed like the hard sell. So it's like, here's the first five minutes because, yeah. you know, you have obviously no idea what's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Um, no, so I first noticed it with Sing 2. Uh, okay. They announced Sing 2. And that trailer is about uh, three minutes too long. It's three minutes, 30 seconds. But again, they got to like <laughs> literally hit every single, here's all the pop songs, you know, that since the last one that came out that we're going to include now. So um, that one, I was like, all right, this is an outlier. You know, they like, they could literally probably put on the trailer, you know, to keep the babies entertained for three minutes anyway. That's probably what they're thinking until the latest Dune trailer just dropped this past week. Mm -hmm. And that one is also three minutes, 30 seconds. 
Okay. Um, now, John, yes. it's, I think it's because we're talking about, as you, the word you said, the watchword, is outliers. We're talking mm -hmm. about two epic tomes that will clearly span <laughs> decades and times. One based on the works of Frank Herbert, the other um, just bringing together a menagerie of wonderful <laughs> animal creatures um, to join in a singing competition. I mean, they're very similar if you think about it. Um, I, I'm, sure is, giant, I mean, I'm sure giant worms play a part in both of them, so... <laughs> We can only hope. Um, <laughs> I mean, have you gotten a chance to see the new Dune trailer? Because I, I think the other, the weird thing about that one too was like that one felt more like the hard sell because that one, you know, it's like the other ones are like have that ominous tone. This one is like, it's like, don't worry, guys, we got the jokes. Okay, <laughs> don't, don't have, worry. Like, this is just Star Wars <laughs> over again because that's what the original exactly. That's what the original <laughs> yes. Dune was. The the original Dune movie, I should say. So it's based on obviously. Frank Herbert's sci-fi tome from I think the 1965 or so and they mm -hmm. were like hey you know Star Wars is doing gangbusters let's adapt to Dune for and yeah it's, mm -hmm. it just doesn't work at least let's at least to the guy who did the weird black and white movie with the alien lamb baby <laughs> like yeah that's that's the perfect guy to give this all to. right John John do not refer to John Merrick that way okay <laughs> he has a name okay <laughs> Now, I was excited for Dune because I'm a big, uh, ever since we saw Ensendives. Ensendives, yes. Go, go ahead. I was a big fan of, of Denis Villeneuve's. <laughs> um, Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> and I was really pumped to see how he would adapt this because, you know, I liked Arrival a lot. I like um, Prisoners a lot. I like a lot of his movies. Until I saw, or I tried to watch Blade Runner. 2048, mm -hmm. and I was hard to press to figure out which Blade Runner is more boring, <laughs> because both of them are so... I don't understand why people love these movies so much. Okay, John, please. You've cooked you've cooked Blade Runner to perfection. Alright, let's let's leave that aside. And it's 2049, but anyway, who's counting? It doesn't matter. What, what did I say? You said 2048. Uh, whatever. Yeah. But, you're right. I, I'm more worried, because um, yeah, you mentioned Denis Villeneuve's best work, um... And some of them include the, the cinematography of one great Roger Deakins. Um, this mm -hmm. movie, not so much. Instead, its, direct, it's uh, director of photography is a guy named Greg Frazier or Frazier or something. Um, he did he did such masterpieces. Oh, baby, I hear the blues are calling. <laughs> yes. It's Frost Island and Scramble. Yeah, and he did such masterpieces as Zero Dark Thirty and uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Um, so, so you can expect just the best browns on grays on grays on browns. <laughs> yes. But it made sense. It's Dune. It's it's a desert planet. I mean, mm -hmm. it only seems appropriate. But yeah. it's also like this big sprawling epic with uh, dragonfly fighter jets and yes. things like that. So, <laughs> which I think we're also in uh, Man of Steel. I don't know, but yeah. Like even even when they're like trying to go Gonzo sci-fi, all these Hollywood movies just feel the same. Like it still feels. Like uh, oh, John, why do you think that is? Is it not because like literally you're a second away from losing your job when the shareholders are like constantly pressing on their watches and their computer screens and they said that line has to go up. There you like go. why? Okay, do, yeah, why point. do you think everything looks the same or nobody take takes risks in Hollywood? I mean, it's also special effects are very expensive. Yeah. So they're like, what can we? Honestly, oh, like I'm sure it's all practical in Dune. I'm sure it's all in camera yeah. effects. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> no, everyone's already making fun of one shot from Dune, where it's like you know this cool warrior thing does like the stabby motion, like straight out of like yeah. a kung fu a wire fu film, and then the little mask flips up. It's supposed to be Timothy Chalamet, but you can almost see it like floating in front of his face, <laughs> like a bad green screen. It's yeah. I want to know. I think. Whoever was the special effects artist, this is, again, we're bouncing around a lot, yeah. but 
Speaking of special effects, uh, there's uh, Loki's now finished, and I want them to give an honorary Academy Award. Whoever figured out that we can have a big scary monster just be a big cloud of smoke that just <laughs> envelops people, because whoever figured that out deserves like all the accolades, all the trophies, because it saved people a lot of time and money. <laughs> well, I think we'll we'll have to give credit where it's due. Back to two thousand four and the premiere premiere of Lost, oh, or was it, it was, was it like well, the second the, episode or fifth? Or? No, the monster the monster actually doesn't appear until like the oh god like. Maybe even season two. What? And that's no. Yeah, everybody exactly. was talking about the smoke monster right when it hit season no, one. No, here's the thing. No, here's the thing. The monster. It was all noise and trees getting ripped up. Okay. You didn't see what it actually was, mm. which is why it was also kind of like again. Oh, this this show's heading in a weird direction when they do finally reveal the monster. It's just a big cloud of smoke. <laughs> Especially because, again, they set you up to make you think it's like this gigantic mechanical monstrosity. Your gears churning and like mm-hmm. pistons firing yeah. and things like that. So, yeah, because again, they like they had no idea what they were doing. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and again, whatever's cheapest, whatever we can do. Yeah, on a, whatever, on a whatever will get you to tune in next week. And it turns out, yeah, I believe the monster then took its final form as actor Titus Welliver, who who's an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Who you would never expect, Greg. yeah. Who you never, who you would never expect as a bad guy. Um, Greg, he's the man in black. Okay, yeah. And okay, he is. He is the Luciferian, Luciferian uh, uh, person who you know wants to destroy the world, but Jacob's there to prevent it. But then Jacob dies, and then he takes the form of John Locke. It's crazy. Okay, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Um, to to reel it back to our original discussion, John, mm-hmm. I think you're you're making a grave mistake. And that mm. is judging a movie by its trailer. You and I know oh. not to judge movies by their trailers, which is why we don't generally talk about them all that much. Um, mm-hmm. And I know this intimately because one of my favorite movies of 2019, that is Cats, um, has had a notoriously <laughs> terrible trailer. And of course, it turned out to be a wonderful entertainment product. Couldn't take the smile off my face. It's just a delight. So, uh, yeah. I mean that genuinely. I mean that genuinely. I do still have the song stuck in my head, and um, yes, there are there is some rousing imagery in between the the more uh, disquieting <laughs> pictures. So, well, again, speaking of movie trailers, I was always perplexed by the uh, uh, advertising campaigns surrounding Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar, mm-hmm. where the literally the opening teaser is. You know what I love? What it's that movie trailers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was wondering what the what do they have planned here, and now now I know they had. Everything planned, <laughs> literally everything. So uh, yeah, but but Greg, that's that's movie that's movie product, movie advertising. Bah, get it out of here. We're here to talk art. We're here to talk about <laughs> oh prestige. oh, are we ever here to talk? <laughs> Let's talk, John. <laughs> Let's chew the fat because hello, welcome to the Aspiring Snobs podcast. This is a nominally a podcast where we uh, one of us or both of us revisits a classic film that we've never seen before and uh, adjudicate whether it's uh, worthy of that uh, classic status. And uh, we've got a doozy for you folks. Um, we've got a big mm. one. Strap yourselves in. Thrill a minute. You're paying for the full seat, but trust me, you will only need the edge. I'm talking about Richard Linklater's Ethan Hawke's Julie Delpy's uh, thrill, thrill a second uh, <laughs> action-packed trilogy of films worthy of, uh, of Star Wars or John Wick. I'm talking about Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and before midnight. Speak such good English. I went to school for a summer in Los Angeles. Yeah? It's fine here? Yeah, it's good. I forget about how beautiful Paris is. I spent some time in London. This is so bad being a tourist. Uh, how do you speak such good English? You know, I think that book that I wrote in the way was like built on something. You're American? So yeah. I Are you sure? The yeah. The details of the time that we spent together. 
This Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. See two powerhouse actors talk for two ninety minutes. So much talking. <laughs> okay, John. I'm, I'm, all right. Let's not put our cards on the table yet. However, I'm going to put you in the mind of a of, of a certain person. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, a few weeks back, we we looked at um, uh, the mind of uh, certain psychopaths on YouTube who do like long video <laughs> essays. Um, I'm going to take yeah. you into the mind of another sicko. Okay, you ready? Um, mm-hmm. They are uh, just a, a blank slate, an empty, gawping hayseed. Um, and now imagine you transport them to a film festival in some European capital, let's say, uh, or it doesn't even have to be European, just somewhere exotic, like uh, Park City, Utah, or Berlin, mm-hmm. or Cannes, south of France, or something like that. And again, they just become like a, just, a, just a blank slate, just a gawping, you know, d- dumb, ugly American tourist. Um, and then they just so happen to see a movie at this film festival, and little do they realize they're just there to do PR for said film. Um, mm. They may file a negative review or whatever, but basically they're just PR people. Um, and so those are the kind of people who would fall in love and fall very, very hard for Richard Linklater's The Before's Trilogy, I think. Mm. Um Yes, obviously I make fun. Like th- these aren't a thrill a minute movies. These are long meandering conversations about philosophical or lightweight philosophical topics. Um, and I can and we can point out nitpick uh, all the incident or lack thereof in these movies. Um, but again, that would be judging what what we what we not what we want. We we can't judge what we want. We have to judge what we have. And what we have yes. here is a critical darlings that are basically because this movie is is designed for critics who who would love to talk about this uh this stuff in in long er, in long meandering conversations in exotic locales. Yeah. I And here's the thing. It's like we often we often criticize or not criticize but lovingly jab at European movies which I I titled the puttering around the kitchen movies Mm -hmm. which are you know these these light on drama but heavy on symbolism movies where you know looking at the the actual scenery not a lot happens but there's a lot of like if you're really looking for it you can mine a lot of depth and meaning out of it and so there are a few times where i watched it and i really enjoyed myself and i was like this that's a brilliant piece of art but because of that you can also see when it's not done well (laughs) and you can see how you know like all the cracks are there when something is kind of trying to imitate that style and it's just not quite hitting that mark and um i mean it's hard to i don't think that i'm trying not to be too critical and being like that was richard linkletter's intention is that he was going in and being like i'm going to make a pastiche aka a carbon copy of a european style film because it's like this has always been his kind of like style his stories feel very loose he's very much like more interested in dialogue and and quote-unquote character than, you know, like, a a chock-a-block-a-minute, like, plot and, you know, 
and stories. So um, I have a hard time, you know, thinking cynically and being like, oh, this was a calculation that he's like, oh, I'm going to make a European art house movie and everyone's going to love it. And yeah, I'm going to sell it for millions. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, eat your heart out, you know, but uh, like, because obviously it also comes from an autobiographical place. Apparently he, he met this woman in Philadelphia, the most <laughs> European of American, of yeah. American cities, if you ask me. Yes, um, on, on par with the beauty of uh, Perry. Or... <laughs> there you go. Yes. Uh, the coffee houses of, of Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like the uh, uh, famous Mike's cheesesteaks. It's a lot like Shakespeare and Company Bookstore, <laughs> if you think about it. There you go. Yes. And, and, much, and Philadelphia coffee shops, much like this place, don't allow black people. Anyway. <laughs> um... <laughs> They do um, allow black people, John, as the servers. <laughs> there you go. Anyway, um, yeah. So he he apparently shared this night with this woman. Um, they were kind of just ships sailing, you know, going through the night. Mm-hmm. They exchanged information. They tried to keep in touch, but they eventually fell out. This was the inspiration for him to make this movie. Uh, you bring on uh, Julie Delphi and. Um, uh, Ethan Hawke, and they kind of bring their own experiences to it as well, because again, he, like he keeps it very loose. He lets his actors bring themselves into the role, and so there's oh, like, do they ever? This, <laughs> yes, and there's this idea that they're like trying to improvise, but it's that problem of like actors trying to sound natural, but they're acting, so they can't quite do it. And also, these are movie stars, so mm-hmm. they've completely lost all humanity or any sense of what it's like to be a normal person. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, it, it rings really hollow for them to be like, oh, yeah, I'm just an average person, just, like, going through my average day, and just, like, you know, obsessed with, like, the little things. Yeah. So, okay, I'll jump off that point. A, I'm going to completely disagree with you there. I don't mm-hmm. think this is supposed to be a uh, imitation or a send up of uh, traditional European films. Um, mm-hmm. Let's let's just I'll just take for example like now you're you're coming from the supposition that they're boring, and I'm going to subject to you one thousand that is one thousand percent wrong. The European okay. and traditional foreign films are not boring. It you may think like Igmar Bergman or let's say more contemporary examples like the Dardenne brothers. Like you may think like, oh, you know, they're light on music, they're light on like camera movements and aren't bombastic or something like that. But John they are loaded with drama. They know drama. <laughs> they know uh they know familial relationships, they know material conditions. There's a lot that can go wrong even without say um, big fantastical action sequences or say the, the imagination it takes to go off into space or, you know, launch a car off a cliff. Like, just because they don't have that doesn't mean they don't have drama. But as you said, this movie is kind of completely lacking in that because the actors and what Richard Linklater and what Ethan Hawke, Julie Deppi bring is is literally like nothing outside themselves <laughs> like it is all just like conversations happening inside their heads and mm. like almost like the only material thing are these like tourist destinations in vienna paris and greece basically that's the only like kind of world outside them basically and there's ne- like what material concerns they have are all about their careers or um like very mildly their relationship or like uh, like oh i had this concern that romantic love is impossible or whatever like yeah (laughs) not one moment does anybody ask hey i don't have a place to stay tonight i'm gonna wind up on the street and go get attacked by a mugger also i'm out of money and um yeah like none none of that is a concern so no and there's obviously like 
even though it's like, hey, we're just strangers, you know, there's this idea that it's like, obviously, you're a man and I'm a woman. So it's like, things have to happen between us, right? So it's like, even from the get go, it's like, this isn't strictly platonic. Like, even even he when he asks her, like, can do you want to get off the train with me? I know that kind of sounds creepy and seems very forward. By the way, there's no way we can really talk about all three movies or each movie separately, because they all kind of run together. And they're all like, they're all acts. Of no, a, like, that's, of, that's the of, thing. How of, can you talk a, about these movies at all? Like, what, what are we going to talk about? <laughs> the gripping scene where they run into two German actors? Like, you know, like what? Or, or, Greg, the, or I was the on inter- the edge of my seat. How was that poem going to turn out when that homeless guy was sitting there on the edge of the river <laughs> writing poems? Yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's get into the... the the, the very beginning, and maybe we'll t- touch on the incident. So, yes, mm-hmm. they meet on a train. Um, they're passing through Vienna. Uh, Julie Delpy's character is uh, on her way back to Paris, and I believe Ethan Hawke's character is stopping there to catch a flight out. And, um, yeah, they, they catch each other reading. What, what really ignites their, their conversation is the fact that there's a German couple uh, arguing very publicly and loudly on this train. Yes. And th- that prompts Ethan Hawke to ask, like, uh, hey, do you know like what the hell was that all about or something. Mm-hmm. And so like, yes, we'll get into that. That'll, that'll, I guess, play back, like in a very tangential way, play back in the final movie. Um, but that's, a, that's what kind of elicits this uh, discussion. And it's mostly about love and like, Oh, like who's the first person. And yeah, it's, it's kind of a meet cute. Like they ask about their tastes, but yeah, I can't think of anything like concrete that comes out at the end of it. Like, again, they meet characters um, it, who are putting on a play and they get invited to to, to said play, but then don't, don't go. Uh, they meet mm-hmm. a homeless person who writes a poem for them, uh, but they never see him again. Um, they spend the night no, sorry. They go to a cemetery, and she tells them a legend that I can't remember. And then uh, they spend the night in the park, and apparently uh, have sex. But we don't learn about that until the next movie. And then, um, yes. and it wasn't until I perked up until like the final moment when they have to. She has to catch her last train, and they're like rushing and they're breathless or something, and they're like, "Well, how yeah, do we?" And it's actual, and it's actually emotional. Yes, like the rest of it, it's just kind of like, oh, they, you know, they eventually start swooning and they eventually start like canoodling and things like that. But this is a very, this is pitched very low. This is. Very very much a like you know a, a light and again because this is you know i don't know if that was the plan but again now we, now that it's a complete three act structure now we can kind of see oh this is the this is the opening act where they start loving each other and again so it's all placid it's all nice and one of the things that i found interesting about this movie that i liked the i i like this movie the best out of all three mostly because please please it, don't use the word best <laughs> okay <laughs> the editing of it yeah. is looser and the amount of time that passes throughout the evening, like we get these cuts, we get these fades, and it's like, oh, time has passed. They're in a new location. Their conversation has continued. Like you get a sense, whereas the other two are extremely linear and they're almost all in real time. Yeah. And it's like, there are all these long shots. And again, because like the dialogue is so heavy and because they're halfway in improvising, like nothing seems right. <laughs> and they have to like, you know, walk down the street for like five minutes. And it's like, they probably did that like 15 times. It's probably exhausting. <laughs> so at least with this one, it's like, it's quicker cuttings the editing's more interesting you know time passes a little bit more flu- like less fluid or more fluidly i guess is the, the way i would describe it so yeah I-, I thought it kind of worked for the first movie like again like ships passing in the night kind of like oh you know maybe they'll hook up again or not so like look it's it's fine for me like again it's not it's not high cinema but it's fine it's cute yeah. i accepted it yeah it's the first one's fine ring ring Pick up. <laughs> Pick up the phone. Uh, oh, hello. 
Allô hmm? Vanny, c'est Céline. Ah. Comment ça va Ça va bien. Et toi <laughs> Il m'est arrivé quelque chose d'incroyable. Uh, I've been working on my English recently. Will you want to talk in English just for laughs Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's a good idea. Um, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it for lunch today. I'm sorry. I... I met a guy on the train and I got off with him in Vienna. We're still there. Are you crazy? Probably. Well, he's Austrian? He's from there? No, 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 no. He's passing through here, too. He's American. He's going back home tomorrow morning. Why'd you get off the train with him? Well, he convinced me. I mean, actually, I was... <laughs> I was ready to get off the train with him after talking to him a short while. He was so sweet, I couldn't help it. We were in the launch car, and he began to talk about him as a little boy seeing his great-grandmother's ghost. I think that's when I fell for him. Just the idea of this little boy with all those beautiful dreams. I think you're right. If, if I can commend something, it is the craft of it. Because, mm -hmm. as you said, like, this could be, I think if it was going to be uh, imitating certain European cinema, you could go handheld. You could go, like, you know, off off kilter or something. Instead, like, the camera's very locked down, doing these, like, long dolly shots. Um, the soundtrack is nice. Like, uh, the performances, like, the performances are supposed to be the, the, the kind of main, and the conversation yeah. is supposed to be the main, like, draw. And that's what the, that's what the camera work and filmmaking does, is to kind of put that yeah. front and center. Um but, but yeah, and for this first one, there is no conflict. It doesn't like get to down no. to, until that <laughs> until that last moment, like ninety minutes later. Like, do we finally get to something or like? like well, and that's like the other I'm interesting interested. thing. Yeah. about that conversation is the conversation does feel fractured and very much like two people who don't know each other. Yeah. So it's like if we're going for a naturalistic, like yes, this felt the most naturalistic because it's like these two people don't like no they're still kind of like sizing each other up a little bit so it's like it seems like it would kind of make sense that they would like mention oh, I, I read this weird thing and you know it's like so at least that felt kind of like natural as opposed to them still doing that 18 years later seems kind of silly to me <laughs> yeah. well well let's get to act two then let's get to okay. um so now it's paris um now now we actually like have some concerns and this was actually my favorite of these three chapters because we kind of start in medias rest ethan hawk's character is now sorry his name's jesse it doesn't help they might as well be ethan and julie um because <laughs> again they're, they're basically playing themselves and there's not much two characters other than they mentioned like oh they're familial relationships but we kind of start in medias rest Ethan hawk's character is jesse a character jesse is now a famous author um, he's doing a, a show, <laughs> like um, a, a book tour, Greg, a book sign, a book, yes, a book tour in Paris. Even though I don't think the book's been translated yet or whatever, but um, it, it basically um, he reconnects with uh, uh, Julie Deppi's uh, uh, Sylvia. What is it? <laughs> oh, are you asking her uh, name? Yes, is it Celine? That's it. Yes, yeah, Celine. Yes. <laughs> I don't have the page up in front of me. I, I don't care. Um, <laughs> Um, she meets, he meets up with Celine and, um, yeah, there was a misconnection. Like they, they agreed to meet in six months and, um, he actually went there where she didn't. And so, yes, like, and now, now it's not just there and they're no longer just in their heads. Now they actually have to like kind of work something out here. Like in terms of like, was it, was it fair for her to, 
for him to basically write her life and a like b why couldn't she like you know make it that time mm-hmm. and yeah are they gonna uh, reignite their love here now now that he's married and he has a kid um yeah. she's also seeing somebody else but he's away all the time and so yeah um, and then there's also the fact that there's also like the first kind of meaningful disconnection, which is she doesn't remember them having sex. He does. Yeah. And like, so there, and that kind of comes, becomes more important in the third one, which we'll get to. But I, like, I guess, you know, like, again, these movies are playing with time. So obviously they're also going to play with memory. So the fact that they don't remember everything the same. But also because, again, I wasn't fully engaged with it. I'm always, like, constantly, like, ping-ponging in my head. It's like, okay, what's written and what's improvised? And so part of me always felt like the moments where they, like, what do, what do you mean by that? Or that's not how it happened. Like, felt more like a improvisation thing where it's like, the other one doesn't know where the other one's going. The other one has to, like, yes and, but wants to get an explanation of where you're going. So it's a very easy trick to be like, oh, I don't remember it. Please explain. <laughs> And oh, do they ever explain? Um, <laughs> because yeah, it's like wall to wall talking. Like I was, I was glad. Like we had drama that drew these characters outside of their heads, basically. Like yeah. again, like do I? There's a ticking clock, literally, to this movie. Like he has to get, he has to get on a flight back to America, and hmm. there's this tension whether he does it or he's he's reigniting his feelings for uh, Celine. Well, I guess okay. We're also we've also buried the lead a bit. Yeah. Is there anything we like about either of these characters? <laughs> um, let me let me take let me chew on that for a bit. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, they're very beautiful people. <laughs> I think that's that's what's really drawn mm. drawn uh, film critics in particular. Like eighteen years later. Like, I don't like, know. Ethan Hawke for me is just like his face is too gaunt. It's too angular. It's got too many weird features. I don't know. I'm being I'm being shallow, but yeah, he's he's never he's okay. never wrong. Particularly. Okay. It's, I yeah. thought you were going to insult his uh, very 1994 hairdo. Like the no, part. no. I was like, oh, look, I can I can suspend my disbelief for that. <laughs> you go you go Gen X or you you show the man. Yeah. <laughs> you quote Bukowski. Go for it. Um, <laughs> what I found, well, okay, I did not like his character because, again, he just seemed like he typified that, like, white male privilege to me throughout, you know, this idea that he's, like, he's very cynical about everything. It's like, that fortune teller really didn't have your fortune. Or, oh, he probably already pre-wrote that poem for you. <laughs> like, you know, he's, he's such yeah, like, he's a know-it-all. And, yeah, like, literal yeah, privilege. He, like, he never has a worry about money. He never has a worry. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to be a writer back in New York. You yeah. know, it's just like that. You know, that kind of archetype that we thought was just like, man, he's so cool in the 90s. And then it's like 20 years later, it's like, everything's so PC these days. Yeah. Like, you know, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off and die. Um, at least with Celine, what I appreciate about her character is she seems, and maybe this is also a detriment, she's trying so hard to like typify all the, you know, contradictions of being a modern feminist. It's a lot of what she talks about. It's a lot of, you know, what's on her mind and a lot of where their dialogue ends up going is the fact that she wants a relationship. She's also trying to be a career woman or, you know, she knows how fulfilling having kids can be, but she doesn't know if she wants them, you know, and it's, there's this kind of like, and when you like look at the history of feminism, I don't know what wave this would be considered, maybe third wave, (laughs) but you know, it's like, she's, she's bringing up a lot of those kind of like concerns and contradictions. One of the other big ones is like, Oh, well, you know, feminism is about sex positivity but also it's like is when men also want you to be sex positive they're just want to get you in bed so you know Mm -hmm. she she's like well a lot of her insecurities come from that and so i found that more interesting than 
whatever bullshit Ethan Hawke's character was going on about Jesse. Jesse's his name. Yeah, I I admire that to the point. Um, unlike Jesse, yeah. like I could see she's got an external motivation in that her career is devoted to the environment and mm. and improving things uh, via. She's literally saving the world. Yes, yes, <laughs> uh, improving things via nonprofit. Um, however, and and I agree with you there. Like that makes her character admirable or. Like worthy of watching for more than uh, let's say twenty minutes, generously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me sing you a waltz out of nowhere, out of my thoughts. Let me sing you a waltz about this one night. However, the scales really get tipped when we approach uh, before midnight in Greece. Mm -hmm. um, because, um, yeah, now the story's advanced nine years. He actually stays in Paris, and they rekindle their relationship, get married uh, officially, or not so officially, whatever. They're now an item, and yeah. I don't think they're married. Yeah, I okay. think it's implied that they've had kids together, but they're not married. Yeah. And so... Um, and so his son, uh, Ethan Hawke's son from a previous marriage, spent the summer in Greece. He's got to say goodbye. Um, the son kind of um, demurs his affections, like just saying, like, oh, don't, like, you don't need to call me. Don't bother, like, coming home. It'll just mm -hmm. create tension with uh, my mom, like, you know, all that stuff. And so, like, he's feeling very insecure uh, about that. And this prompts a question of, like, oh, what if we move? back to america i can be with him at this very pivotal age he's about to enter high school and that launches something in julie Deppie's character's mind <laughs> that i just that literally had me like like rocking back and forth in my in my seat because that's where all this like feminism like comes to the floor comes to the fore of like you know oh suddenly like i'm expected to just go along with you and take care of the kids and and cook and clean and and suddenly like uh, i want a new job but i like before i was ambiguous about it now i certainly want it like and you know now you're ripping that away from me um and so that that becomes the crux of this whole movie this the last one is the most painful to watch because it's 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 making on a threat that this uh relationship will deteriorate or at least yes. it's playing with that yeah and that's yeah, because again the whole point of these movies is to explore is true love even possible yeah and so here we are 18 years later these people are still in relationship of at some in some capacity and yes now they seem like they are falling apart now it does seem like they are deteriorating even though it does feel kind of like sudden because we do get half the movie being a idyllic like oh we're on vacation and everything's pleasant and look someone paid for it all for us anyway yeah. <laughs> so again like that's the other kind of like demerit it's just like how fucking privileged these people are <laughs> and so it's like finally you get a movie where they can actually have struggles they can actually have problems mm -hmm. and it still kind of rings hollow because it still feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere 
And maybe it's because these tensions have been boiling up for some time, but it's never like we get that sense from the interactions because it's the only other one. The third one's the only one where we get interactions outside of themselves. Yes. They actually get interactions with, oh, the, like we're on, you know, this this group vacation with these other couples. I'll talk to the men. You talk to the women. And then we'll all have a Greek uh, fiesta together. And <laughs> oh, hoppa. <laughs> Let's talk about sex, you know, and... Fiesta John, really? All right. yeah, I, don't, I don't know that. All right, it's, it's, all te- Greek. It's, te- it's all Greek to me. Hey, they are technically on the Mediterranean, and I, I thought I would have appreciated that. However, like like Jesse and Celine, these people do not know how to shut up. I, yes. I was again like falling out of my seat. Like somebody, just like give me a moment's peace, please. It probably didn't help that you and I probably didn't watch this as intended like nine years apart that would at least give you space to breathe uh in between watching these people breathlessly like go on and on and on about these conversations in these idyllic european locations instead we watch these back to back to back and yeah by by like again hour five of this in the middle of before midnight i was ready to dang myself (laughs) okay not maybe not that much i mean it's still there's still a lot of craft on display um well, okay, so here's here's my twist though. Yeah. I the first one is the one I thought was the best movie. The one I enjoyed watching the most was the third one <laughs> because I became the sicko meme from the Onion editorial <laughs> from the cartoon. Kitty, yeah, from the head, cartoon. Head on the window just like, "Yes. Yes." Because <laughs> when they start fighting in that hotel room, I'm like, "Okay, we're finally paying off, folks. This is what we came for. Fireworks, okay? This is the this is the trench run on the Death Star, baby. Now they're in it. Now they're fighting. Now that all those all those resentments are coming to a head, which she warned them that would happen. And so I was I was gung ho for it. I loved it. I was actually like looking forward to it. Granted, it doesn't make up for the 45 minutes of boring where they talk about tomatoes and and peppers and shit like that. But. Um, and and John book ideas and like you know oh, what if <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry I know we're nitpicking and we're and we're kind of negative on what our basically genial like pleasant mm. like kind of art, light art house fair or whatever but all of Jesse's mm. books sound terrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah but all books sound terrible on paper that's true until you get them into paper and then it's then it's a book and then it's real and yeah. then it's like oh. <laughs> Great, John. John, it sounds like you're ready to uh, go to Greece uh, for a writer's retreat. (laughs) Crank, let me tell you. I finally started reading Infinite Jest, and now I'm the smartest human being on the planet. So... You're right. You're right. It's all in the prose. Um, I say that as somebody who kind of likes infinite chests. But anyway, <laughs> of course you would. <laughs> yep, yeah, that white male privilege showing again. Um, yeah, I, I, for me it was like too little, too late because it's still. John, use the analogy of the trench run in Star Wars. This still isn't thrill a minute stuff. This is still long, meandering conversations. And again, she, this character is like pulling out. Even even though it's kind of like um, coming to a conclusion of her presaging that their relationship would fall apart and true love isn't real and eventually like mm-hmm. people are going to get on their, each other's nerves and break up, it's still about this like it still has this feminism angle that didn't come like earlier like like no like this is what annoys me like like I liked in the second half like I liked in the second chapter before sunset again we're talking about things that materially affect us but now it's like no i can't possibly 
move and not take my job and not not for my own personal selfish reasons but instead i have to give like the societal reason like obviously because that's what uh society expects out of like uh, uh, uh or is is, is anti-feminine and and expects yeah. out of our art or uh, motherly fi- or, and expects a motherly figure out of our women like yeah. but it but it I don't know. It was like it came out of nowhere, and I just didn't believe it. Like, and and it also doesn't help that this is when they're 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 at their most actorly. Like, yes, I guess that's true. Well, so that's the okay. So that's the kind of the problem with the third one is like the thesis of that one is specifically to be okay. Now they are in a stable relationship. Mm-hmm. Now they have to deal with the day to day drudgery of being in a relationship. They have commutes. They have jobs. They have kids that they need to watch out for, and so. Like, obviously, now that there's the reality of what a long-term relationship takes, all those pressures, all those, you know, things that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, show us that. Show us them going through that. (laughs) Instead, they show us in Greece, on vacation. (laughs) And again, just talking, talking, talking. Like, that's all that... (laughs) Like, you know, you you and I were married and have been to two other people. And um, (laughs) have been to, like... A party a party is like the one like the dinners portrayed at, at in this uh, last chapter in Greece mm-hmm. or whatever. And yeah, we've talked to other couples or whatever. Like I can't imagine though, like sitting and watching them talk for like another ninety minutes. Like, mm. like our lives can be fascinating, but like show us the fascinating bits. Show people changing or growing. And that was like the saddest thing. And what made me want to like tear tear our hair out. Like this is five hours of the same people. And I didn't see them grow and change at all. They're still like the same no. two people, all like stuck in their heads, having these long meandering conversations. And but also, isn't that kind of the point? Well, is the fact that you're supposed to have continuity after 18 years, like, but it, like, and maybe that's the question that the movie's asking. Not just like, is true love exist, but can people really change? Yeah. And even Ethan Hawke is like, well, I'm a much different person. <laughs> no, you're not. You're still an insufferable twat. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I guess the other uh, big. Uh, in, or like animating idea behind it is that their their true love is persisting in spite of this, in spite of the yeah. reservations earlier. But yeah, I've I've already seen that it work in Star Wars and and, <laughs> and other and other more compelling stories. Like I didn't I didn't want to see it in this format. I I've seen it work in Igmar Bergman films. I've seen it work in Hirokazu Creative films. Like those again are in slow. The works of- Christopher Nolan. That's a movie about love transcending time and yeah. love being the most powerful force in the universe. So exactly, you know, th- th- I've already seen that version of the story. That's long, slow, and meandering. Um, <laughs> and granted, that th- we had to go through a wormhole in that. Not necessarily, not necessarily the ruins of Greece, but like there's there's a more there's got to be a more compelling way to tell that. Not over the course of five to six hours of the same two people. Like, um, I don't know, just breathlessly expressing themselves. Like, that's that's what I think. By the end, I was just like, shut up, yeah. <laughs> both of you. Like, have a moment's peace. And, yeah, it's just, it's not that there's, not that it's not peaceful or whatever, but it's just not, I'm not, I'm not on its wavelength. Like, I'm not, uh, I know this is overused, um, particularly on Twitter, but I wasn't, I wasn't on this movie's frequency. I wasn't vibing I wasn't, with it. I wasn't vibing with it. Yeah. And like that's, but that's also the weird thing is like I can't think of any. I can't consider myself a Richard Linklater fan because mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of his movies. Like last one I saw was like Where'd You Go, Bernadette, which is oof, thumbs down, <laughs> boring. Oh, yeah, um, well, you're with the other critics there on that one. I think. Yeah, um, but what I appreciate though is that everything he does do is at least a little experimental. 
And so I do appreciate the fact that you're giving me the space. Uh, like experimental. I'm experimental. <laughs> like the fact that he decided, like, again, we, we see him playing with time a lot. He did Boyhood, which I think you've seen. Um, yeah, you know, but, yeah, but is that, that an experiment? Is that like... <laughs> yes, it's an experiment. Okay. Greg, it's about time. Okay. <laughs> All right. He's got to get Marty back from 1955 <laughs> so his parents can meet at the Under, under the Sea dance. Enchantment okay. Under the Sea. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. <laughs> It's about time, Greg. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's about memories. It's about love. <laughs> it's about everything. <laughs> sure. Can you stop this stupid game? We're not in one of your stories, okay? Did you hear what I said to you back in the room? Did you hear me? Yes. I heard you. Now, whether you don't love me anymore, I figured you didn't mean it, but if you did, then, uh, Oh, fuck it. And uh, you know something? You're just like the little girls and everybody else. You want to live inside some fairy tale, all right? I'm just trying to make things better here, all right? I tell you that I love you unconditionally. I tell you that you're beautiful. I tell you that your ass looks great when you're 80. Huh? I'm trying to make you laugh. Okay. I put up with plenty of your shit. And if you think I'm just some dog who's going to keep coming back, then you're wrong. But if you want true love... Uh, then this is it. This is real life. It's not perfect, but it's real. And if you can't see it, then you're blind. All right, if I give up. No, I yes, I I don't I don't particularly care for any of these movies. I think that like the most I can say is that they're fine. They don't offend my senses too much. But yeah, yeah I'll never probably watch them again. <laughs> no, because again, I I feel like we have to. You have to place in order to. Uh, laud these movies the way others have. You have to put yourself in in a mindset where uh, this is this is a uh, <laughs> this is a story worth telling, or this is a a a mood worth exploring, or something. Mm-hmm. And and the truth is, I especially in the year twenty twenty one, no, definitely not today. Because um, again, there's too much materially going on between like uh, the like the environment or uh, political strife or whatever that. Yeah, we can't just we can't just say like, oh, I'm 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 a famous author, and you know, I I I don't know how to help the environment via my nonprofit job, like, and <laughs> and let's I don't know, let's take uh let's take two hours to ourselves and just wander around this European city, like, no, it's not not anymore. Sorry, your your time has passed. Unfortunately, <laughs> mm-hmm. I wish it didn't take my time with it, but uh, oh. but you know what? Hey, that's what. That's what experimentation is. All right, it's there. You go. Yes. See, it's worth it. It's yeah. worth it. Okay. If only he could get Billy Crudup or Jack Black in here. He likes working with them. If yeah. he only he, if only he could like insert a Jack Black esque, you know, crazy character in there, <laughs> that would have worked. That would have been f- yes. He could have played the guitar. Um, I really like <laughs> Ju- Julie Delpy's uh, song at the end of uh, Before Sunset. But uh, oh, yeah, if only he could come in and bring that like tenacious D fire, like. <laughs> Well, Greg, since we can't full-heartedly recommend 
the the before series mm-hmm. the before trilogy that that makes it sound too, <laughs> the, too the before time i call them the before times <laughs> uh, yeah. the, the long long ago yeah. um maybe we can find something we can recommend to our audience what do you say i that sounds like a great idea if only we had a name for s- such a thing like something we could trademark something well greg i'm 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 i'm, I'm workshopping a okay. few different ideas all right. okay all right. we can call it uh, lighthouse <laughs> we can call it spotted dog we can call it spotted dick we can call it uh, um, I think we got the line. name right there. There we go, Spotted Dick. <laughs> okay, all right, Spotted. <laughs> all right, let's England's just... finest finest dish. <laughs> we'll just we'll we'll group them all together. We'll just call it a, a Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. I want to see how long we could drag that out, but <laughs> I was really it shows how good an improviser I'm. Yeah. I'm done at three, Jake but after all, comedy comes in threes. There yeah, we go. It's right, fine. <laughs> John, I've got something to full, wholeheartedly recommend. Uh, oh boy! It came out on uh, a streaming service over July Fourth weekend because it's okay. It's filmmaker, unlike his contemporaries, doesn't care um, if it comes if his movies come on streaming or in theaters or wherever. He just wants to bring them to you, and I like that most. The filmmaker I'm talking about is, of course, the uh, the venerable Steven Soderbergh, and his uh, mm. latest uh, masterstroke in the story of uh, of crime. His latest experiment. Not mm-hmm. not quite, no, not quite. Because um, he's also very experimental. You have he to he can be, but this is more <laughs> with a much a much better success rate. Yes, than Richard Linklater. <laughs> yeah, but no, this is more in a uh, uh, cool crime caper mode, and um, it's on HBO Max right now. It's called No Sudden Move. Mm. Yeah, and so this is a uh, I, I guess um, it's not quite a noir, but it's a it's a crime caper set in Detroit in uh, 1954. Um, I'd say it's close to St. Analogous Chinatown, a movie that I know um, uh, Sod- uh, Steven Soderbergh loves. But um, uh, <laughs> so, is it unfair for me to compare No Sudden Move to one of the greatest films of all time? <laughs> yes. Am I going to do it? Yes. <laughs> so, um, a lot like Chinatown, what we have is kind of starts with a, a small crime, a, mo- uh, a modern noir, let's call it, with you know color and costume and widescreen and all that. Um, and what starts out as a small crime and then spins into just this big grand conspiracy that has a whole that has like not just a city but a whole like region in 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 stake. And so, like, we start with um, Don Cheadle and Benicio del Toro. They're two small-time crooks, and they have to do basically a tiger kidnapping. They get they get this uh, they take this family hostage while uh, this um, middle manager. Did you say tiger kidnapping? Yeah, yes, technically that's the uh, that's the name for the bank robbery thing where you take somebody like hostage and they go in oh. and they work behind the scenes. That's the technical name for it, according to Wikipedia. I know the world's most reliable source. So, so where does Joe Exotic come in? Where does Carol Baskins <laughs> feed the bodies to? Oh, don't don't get me started on Carol Baskin. <laughs> oh, that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> John, I'm sorry. We're gonna need a past a Back to the Future S time machine for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone remember Carol Baskins? <laughs> In any event, uh, uh, so it starts out as a small-time crime, but um, it it kind of spins out from there. Like um, basically, the no sudden move is like uh, Don Cheadle and, and Benicio del Toro suspe- suspect something's up, and so they they take for themselves what this like important material is that um, they they extract it from this husband. He's played by David Harper, um, and so we got this two kind of. Uh, parallel stories between David Harbour and his family and these two small time crooks and then and all the moves they have to make to kind of like get through because they're they're both wanted uh they're, they're both wanted dead by like various crimes in Detroit and again what they have is very valuable but they don't know what it is and so mm. classic pulp fiction 
you know, syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's sort of like that. Um, but again, like like Chinatown, it's got big, like, kind of societal implication here. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't spoil it, but it, it's about a, an advanced new car, and that's why, like, all the, the big three automakers want it. And so... Yeah. Um, I, I will say, unlike Chinatown, it doesn't go uh, deep and dark. Like, you know, there's not a whole lot of, like, ugly ugliness or violence that it's really plumbing. Instead, it's more like Out of Sight or The Ocean's movies or, let's say, Logan Lucky. Like, it's not it's not funny in the way, like, like Logan Lucky is or whatever, but it's, like, just smooth operating, like, you know, like, crackerjack dialogue between everybody and, again, <laughs> like, twists and turns with uh, every move that Don Cheadle makes. Like, you know, it's great. And, and um... Yeah, there's a good, there's a great crime boss played by the crime bosses are played by um, Ray Liotta and Bill Duke. They're both great in terms of their contrast. Ray Liotta being the one on the ed- always on the edge, and uh, yep. Bill Duke being obviously the cool uh, the cool customer. So again, it's all great, but again, to compare it to one Chinatown, one of the greatest films of all time, um, it, it is sort of light entertainment. It, it obviously doesn't go deep. There there is kind of like a measure of a of a sadness to the ending, like um, but you know it's not like you know, you're not going to be like, oh, like, oh, I, I feel like I've, I've learned something. I've, I've eaten my vegetables and, you know, yeah. really. <laughs> well, it's like, and that's the other, like, again, like, you can't talk about a Steven Soderbergh movie without me, like, thinking about his whole illustrious career. Because he has yeah. been one of these, like, consistently great directors who always, like, churns out great movies. But I, I use the term great just in terms of, like, quality. But, like, has he ever produced something that was, like high art that'll always be kind of like considered in the pantheon and sadly i don't think we can really say that yeah. yet yes we can john it's your oh favorite, wait it's high, your favorite high, film. high flying bird got it okay <laughs> no it's <laughs> the your... one done on iphone yeah <laughs> it's your favorite movie bubble that is that is oh, that is great no, that is no that is worth no, watching everybody should watch no, that um no, no you're right talk yeah. about talk about boring crime movies <laughs> <laughs> crime doesn't happen until like 50 minutes in boring <laughs> indoor, indoor 70 minute movie you're right um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i don't i don't know i don't think it's trying to transcend the the form or whatever um mm. i just think it's good lean efficient stuff which like traffic i mean traffic you could say like almost gets there i mean it's it's kind of plumbing uh, plumbing like harder territory in terms of the war on drugs but like um this movie this movie doesn't qu- quite go there um i'm not i'm not sure what it's like real world implications that it was trying to bring in uh were but um yeah I, I, like still like great solid entertainment um and oh it's i will give the caveat um you mentioned high flying bird that was his uh mm-hmm. movie before this all shot on an iphone and because of that he um and it's a very talky movie it's mostly like characters just exchanged in in conversations and deals making deals and so like <laughs> all of it's exaggerated with like these huge fisheye lenses and like <laughs> and um there's a bit of that le- there's a bit of that in uh no sudden move like um he's he's shooting it with a conventional camera but the there is some like kind of like tilt shifty wideness in the lens um which i know can turn off some people or whatever but like i, I just say stick with it like you know once you kind of accept that i'm, I'm sure you'll be a-okay like yeah okay yeah but no All not right. not experimental just again like like his other like like pop pop entertainment like just good crime caper and yeah mm-hmm. like salt stuff how much longer is it on HBO Max? Because I know they only have. A well, that's a well, that's a thing because it never went to theaters. It's not. It doesn't have this ah, limited like perfect theatrical window. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Perfect. Awesome. So I think it's on there in perpetuity. Yeah. 
awesome great <laughs> you know because i'm meaning to catch up with that one i know mm-hmm. I, i'd enjoy it so um instead i've been catching up with uh netflix related stuff which okay. um has so been you're, a, you watch uh, mostly mostly a complete waste of time okay. <laughs> they're batting they're batting a solid point one so far i'd say <laughs> way below the mendel's line Oof. yes i thought you were gonna so you've been watching tiger king again is that it or <laughs> well okay so the worst of them like and again, like honestly, this is a movie so bad it should be included in like film classes because it does nothing right. <laughs> it is the latest offering from Liam Neeson of all people, The Ice Road. <laughs> the Ice Road that went to I thought that I thought that was in theaters or I th- maybe for like a week or something. Okay. But it is it is a like and again I put it on thinking like oh it'll just be like you know a non-stop or an unknown or something yeah. like yeah Liam Neeson being a people no not this movie does nothing right <laughs> um, the the direct the editing is weird the direction is bland like Liam Neeson has nothing to work with every line of dialogue is some piece of exposition mm-hmm. like the screenwriter was the guy who wrote fucking Jumanji <laughs> like <laughs> and his only other directing credit is like the original not the original, but one of the Punisher movies, um, like the 2004 version, I think. He's 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 screenwritten a bunch of things, but he has very little director's credit. And this movie is just deeply sad watching it. It's deep. It's it's like it was. It's almost like an exercise in like, look how much research I did on Ice Road Truckers, guys. Remember Ice Road Truckers? I made a crime movie about him. Like. So it's really like honestly, see it, please, so you can like nitpick it to death because it's one of those perfect movies. For okay, that. okay. Um, I see it did go to theaters in the United Arab Emirates. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's usually who finances these uh, Liam Neeson's <laughs> movies now. Okay, that and like Good drug dealers out of Hungary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is weird because it has like an, a pro miners, uh, a pro union kind of uh, message to it. But you know, that's that's one of the ticking clock elements. There's a mine cave, and it's like we gotta get these ice, this equipment across the ice road just in time before their oxygen runs out. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, that sounds pro union to me. <laughs> what, what is this? Was I watching Harlan County, USA, or the ice road? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's the, it's the evil corporation who wants to let him die. Oh, you I know. see. So yeah. they can so, collect um, the insurance. Those exactly. those dastardly foes. So they can cover it up. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, but there is one movie that I really want to recommend on mm-hmm. Netflix currently, and it's funny. I actually mentioned it on this podcast before. It was back when it was originally titled Disconnected. It's called The Mitchells versus the Machines. <laughs> oh yeah. So this is the uh, latest Lord Miller animated. Uh, uh, goof him up or <laughs> yes okay <laughs> um and so part of the reason why i was kind of like looking forward to it is because i was pleasantly surprised by a movie a little movie that they did called cloudy with a chance of meatballs mm-hmm. which is a very erratic very kind of like for the four-year-olds kind of movie or at least that's what it lures you into thinking that it is it's like almost like overbearing how hyperactive it is and this movie is very much the same way this movie is is kind of made for like tiktok teens you know it's like <laughs> got everything's like filtered everything's memorized everything's just happening at you it's like honestly like try i think it's honestly trying to kill boomers like who try to watch it <laughs> from like a heart attack about everything that's going on but it's also very intentional it's coming from the perspective of um a, a young girl uh, who's off to well she's not young she's about to go off to college mm-hmm. and she's going to some film school in uh, california she was accepted and she's excited to go and you know she loves making youtube movies and vimeo movies on her iphone and things like that but her father is voiced by danny bride who aka 
you know, it might as well be Joe Rogan, or not Joe Rogan, Seth Rogan. Mm-hmm. It might as well be Seth Rogan because you can't tell the difference. <laughs> um, he's a complete Luddite, and he's afraid that he's losing connection with his daughter because he's an absolute Luddite. He likes to whittle and woodwork and mm-hmm. things like that. He likes mm-hmm. to go camping. So he concocts this uh, road trip to drop her off for college instead of flying there mm-hmm. by herself. So they're going to go together as a family. Uh, in the meantime, a robot uprising happens, <laughs> as one does in these kind of road trip movies. Cool. Yeah. Um, yes. It certainly um, it certainly would have enlivened the before movies. That's for sure. <laughs> there <you go>. Yes. <laughs> um, there's uh, some kind of you know Silicon Valley pastiche you know parody mm-hmm. that drops this new like you know a robot assistant and you know. Uh, the robot uh, AI goes sentient. It's much smarter than I'm seeing, making it sound. Again, it's just chock-a-block throw bits and very funny moments. And, like, again, going with that whole, like, memified, like, constantly erratic direction, that's important because when it gets to the quiet moments, mm. when it gets to the hard-fought, like, emotional moments between the daughter and the father, like, then it really hits hard because okay. the movie actually, like, slows down. So it's a great study in contrast there. Even though... It's absolutely ridiculous because the evil AI's plan is to just ship all humans off the planet. It's literally trying to capture everybody, put them in weird green force field tubes, and then shoot them off to space. <laughs> That's the ultimate plan. So, uh, But it's a ridiculous movie. It's very, very funny. It's very, very cute. It's very, very heartwarming. Um, I'd say it made me feel more alive than Pixar's latest offering, honestly. What? What? Yes. Luca? Yeah, I the, think the delightful I... <laughs> sea monsters and Luca? How dare you? <laughs> It's because this movie is unexpected. You never know quite know where it's going to work. Okay. It has like a five-act structure. It's it's pretty complicated. <laughs> Every single member of the family gets their own um, uh, subplot. Ooh, actually, okay. One one demerit to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the mom's subplot. Ma- the mom is voiced by Maya Rudolph. Yeah, she uh, as as every animated movie mom <laughs> must be. <laughs> exactly. Her her subplot is that her connection with technology is that she like Instagram stalks other moms <laughs> and their manicured perfect lives. You mm-hmm. know, pale in comparison to their chaotic messy world. And of course, her biggest rival. Uh, family across the street, the Joneses that she needs to keep up with, are voiced by John Legend and Chrissy Teigen. Ooh, <laughs> I'm sure when they planned this, they thought that that's his perfect casting. Yeah, because <laughs> they have the perfect family, right? Let me just Google Chrissy Teigen real quick and see <laughs> what's she up to. I haven't heard yeah, what's her it? In a yeah, while. let me just while the results load up, I'll take a big sip of tea right here and just see. <laughs> Whatever. They're, everybody's getting paid. You know, people online can be so mean <laughs> to Chrissy Teigen specifically yeah. and no one else. <laughs> Listen, I'm sure they mean well, and uh, I'm just glad just Chrissy Teigen is, is doing something other than being on social media. All right, because God, we need that for her. We need her to have uh, more interest in her lives <laughs> that don't involve social media or pets. Um <laughs> Yeah. Well, Greg, I think that uh, very much wraps up this episode. What do you say? Oh, thank goodness, yes. I'm Wrong trivia ja- challenge! Oh, shoot. Oh, gosh. Just, just when I think it's over, you, you, we, our, our, our Grecian uh, uh, vacation mates <laughs> stick us in a hotel room, and we got to fight it out in a battle of wits and, and, and psychic mind energy. There you go. Greg, for this week's trivia challenge, mm-hmm. I wanted to explore another series that transcends decades, that has literally started from uh, 2003 and went until 2016. And hopefully, we pray every day that it'll eventually get rebooted. 
I'm talking, of course, about the Underworld series starring Kate Beckinsale. <laughs> okay, I was really hoping it was the Pirates of the Caribbean, um, which also started in 2003, and I think its last installment was in 2006. Am I right? Or um, no? Uh, well, 25th? No, 2017? I don't know. Yeah, that last one was really, really bad. Okay, <laughs> even as a fan, even I can say that. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, uh, but no, uh, we've been rewatching the <laughs> because my husband loves schlock. We've been rewatching a lot of vampire-related media, so we've been rewatching the uh, uh, Underworld series. For people who aren't familiar with the Underworld series, uh, it is basically Romeo and Juliet with vampires and werewolves, and again, is very much and the Matrix uh, thrown in. It's the Matrix. It's, it's trending with the the goth aesthetic of long trench coats yeah. made of leather. Mm-hmm. So, um, but they're vampires, so that's fine. That's actually very appropriate wear yes, if you're a vampire. Yes. And I. I you know I can't say any of them are good movies, but it's fun. It's fun watching British actors ham it up. So, um, which I'm sure will come up in some of these questions I have prepared for you. Question okay. number one. All right. What is the subtitle for the second film of the series? Oh, that's um, Underworld Evolution, right? That is correct. Good work. Yes. All right. Bango. <laughs> uh, thank you. I, I retire on top. <laughs> Adding a thousand. All right. Question number two. What is the subtitle for the fourth film in the series, which was the first that did not hit its three-year mark? The first three all came out three years apart. Uh-huh. And then this one was kind of like the, the kind of reboot, the one that gave the swift kick in the butt back into theaters. Okay. Was it Underworld Revolution? <laughs> Ooh. So close. It's Awakenings. Awakenings. Underworld okay. Awakenings. Did that one have Kate Beckinsale in it or Scott Speed? Yes. Okay. It did. All right. Has she yes. been in every one? That'll be one. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <Three>. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll answer that later. All right. Yes. Kate Beckinsale met her future husband while working on the first film of the Underworld series. Mm-hmm. Who is that director? Uh, shoot. I can't. Because he's, he's a schlockmeister on par with Paul W.S. Anderson. It's obviously not Paul W.S. Anderson, who is Mr. Mila Jovovich. Um, so... Mm-hmm. Oh, but what is his name? Ugh, I can't remember. I, I I'm just gonna use the name of her, her castmate in these movies. That's Scott Speedman. I know it's not correct, but I I just like the name Scott Speedman. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's Len Wiseman. Len, Len Wiseman, Wiseman, that's it. Yes, director think, of of Dar- Die Hard 4.0. Uh, yes, favorite. and <laughs> I think he also did the reboot of Total Recall, which uh, also had Kate Beckinsale in it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so the less said about that, the better. Illustri- okay. Illustrious career, <laughs> that Len Wiseman. <laughs> yes, uh, the main character of the series, Celine, as played by Kate Beckinsale, was conceptualized from a comic book character who was the member of the villainous Hellfire Club. Which series does the Hellfire Club come from? Which series? So it's a set of superheroes, or no? It's a set of supervillains. Oh, a set of supervillains. Um, yes. So the Hellfire Club from a set of supervillains. Let's see, vampires. Well, because I'm just thinking, it sounds like something that would, that would be that would be an X Men, or excuse me, the Brotherhood of Mutants. <laughs> um, am I on the right track, or? Greg, <laughs> wouldn't much be trivia if I gave you like warmer, colder. <laughs> it, makes it, it makes it more interesting. Lead me on a journey, John. <laughs> Imagine pub trivia work that way. It's like, oh, this side of the this side of the crowd thinks they're getting it. <laughs> you're you're my verge. You're my Virgil <laughs> in this trip through hell, i.e., the underworld movies. <laughs> Can I get an answer, please? Okay, I'll, I'll, uh, 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 Legion of Doom. 
The Legion of Doom is another group of. I'm looking for the series. Oh, the, the again. I just X Men. I don't X Men series. Correct. Hey, Congratulations. Okay. I said X Men. Aren't you? Are you listening? <laughs> you to work on your trivia hosting. Okay. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Celine is named after a Greek goddess. But what is she the Greek goddess of? I I don't know my classics. I'm gonna go the goddess of peace. Ooh, sorry, it's the moon. She's oh, okay. goddess of the moon. Interesting. I thought yes. Selene, like Serenity, even though those words are nothing alike. But <laughs> yep. Which Selene. actor played a werewolf in the first three movies, but would later play a vampire lord in the Twilight Saga? <laughs> oh, well, that's... Oh, well, so it's not Scott Speedman. Yeah, I'll just say Scott Speedman because I can't name anybody else in the cast unless it's somebody else who I know will be the answer for a question later. But <laughs> Oh my gosh, Greg. This, this one I thought for sure you'd get. It's Michael Sheen. Oh, it is Michael Sheen. You're right. I completely forgot Which, he was in Okay, the, while yeah. I was looking at trivia for this, I found other little factoids. Uh, Michael Sheen is a poonhound, let me tell you. He has is, he is nobbed a lot of Hollywood royalty. He has a daughter with Kate Beckinsale, and that daughter appears in, like, the fourth movie. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yes. are, are she and Len Wiseman, like, swingers or something? Like, how, how did that work? No, they were in a relationship before they met. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so, like, going back to the 90s or something like that. When yes, Kate, exactly. When Kate Beckinsale's career was in ascendancy, and Michael mm-hmm. Sheen's was uh, uh, flatlining, and it's just like, I'm just going to go buck. Every performance, I'm going to give it 120,000 <laughs> percent. Exactly, and you know, and and, and the world's richer for it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Kate Beckinsale had to bow out of the third film, a prequel subtitled "Rise of the Lycans." <laughs> but who plays the lead in the third movie? <laughs> I know it was probably some Ukrainian model that works for scale, <laughs> but it could be I don't know somebody notable. I'll go with. Sophia Batella. Ooh, incorrect. It was yeah. Rana Mitra. <laughs> Rana Mitra, okay. Yeah. Who has done, let's say, other things. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be rude, okay? <laughs> I'm sure she's a fine lady. <laughs> uh, the only thing I would recognize her from is Supergirl. She apparently plays a recurring role in Supergirl, but... Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right, next question. A 2011 animated video was created for this series. What was the subtitle of that film? (laughs) Okay. Um, So think like Animatrix. Like, again, this is obviously, you know, taking the aesthetics of the the Matrix film. The Matrix films had the Animatrix. What would would this movie be called? Uh, (laughs) The... Anna Anna under Anna Underworld, um, or I don't know, like a uh, Underworld. Um, you know what? I'll I'll know what it go. I'll know what it is. Um, uh, underworld colon Tiny Toons Adventures. <laughs> so close. Yeah. It was Underworld Endless War. Okay, Endless War. Because it spans it spans Greg centuries. Okay, the, they've okay. been they've been they're both immortal, so they've been fighting for a very very long time. I know. <laughs> much like the before, much like the before series. You know, it's a movie about time yeah. and memories. Yep. I, I think that's what the producers were pl- praying for. Like endless war. Let this franchise never end, so that we can always get a paycheck. <laughs> there you go. Yes. All right. Question number nine. Anna Forster directed the last film in the series, Blood Wars. Her and both Len Wiseman worked under which German director? She was a DP, and he was a prop master. Uh, I'm going to assume that's... 
and I'm not sure her exact name, but is it Lexi Alexander? Ooh, sorry. Okay. It was Roland Emmerich. Ah, okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Again, another master schlockmeister. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd assume they work under, like, Lexi Alexander. Like, she directed Punisher Warzone and a lot of other, like, schlocky oh. action movies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think she, yeah. So, <laughs> and I know she's German as well. So, yeah. But. Okay. All right, Greg. Well, this final question brings it full circle because okay. Philistines often confuse these movies with the Resident Evil movies because they just both happen to have a strong female character mm-hmm. and, 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 and a loose interpretation of reality. <laughs> but only once in 2016 did these two series actually overlap. Uh, in June of 2016, uh, Underworld Blood Wars was released the same month as which Resident Evil movie? Ooh. Okay, let me run through quickly all the Resident <laughs> Evil subtitles I know. Um, Resident Evil... Okay, the first one's Afterlife. First sequel is Afterlife. Then Extinction. Then 3D. <laughs> Wait, I think I got it. I think it's Resident Evil colon the final chapter. That is correct! Yes. Boom! Goes the dynamite! <laughs> Yes, once again, come out as champion. Because the last question obviously was worth it's all the last points, question, right? Yeah. Yes, it's the golden snitch. Yeah. <laughs> once you get that, then it doesn't matter. Yep. <laughs> this is a perfectly realized game. If if nothing matters except for one thing. <laughs> yep. It's brilliant, and like uh, like Harry Potter, it's also very transphobic. So, <laughs> ouch, ouch. Well, Anyways. he was hoping that they reboot the Underworld series. Uh, yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention, I wanted to mention with the uh, X-Men uh, question, uh, there was talks of also them doing a Blade crossover in the mm-hmm. mid-2000s, but this was like around the time that the, like Marvel was like, I, I, we're actually risking it all and making our own movies. We'll see if this happens. <laughs> <laughs> and then they came out with Iron Man, and yeah. you know, no one ever heard from them again. <laughs> yeah, so who knows, who knows if that bet paid off. Um. <laughs> I think Merrill Lynch and, and and the Bank of America are still wondering when when that loan is going to be repaid. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I was no, I was wondering. I, I know the other. You didn't. You failed to mention the other big part of the Underworld series, and that is, of course, Bill Nighy, the venerable Bill Nighy. Ah, yes. I'm assuming he's in every movie, like like Michael Sheen after some point, or did... no? Sadly, no. Like so. Part of it was the first one had such a good buzz, mm-hmm. believe it or not, <laughs> that they greenlit two movies pretty much. That's why the, like they were able to keep that three-year schedule mm-hmm. between the the first three, and that's only why, and that's why Michael Sheehan and Bill Nighy are the only ones who actually appear in uh, those first three. Okay. So Bill Nighy, yes, giving 110. percent Even has to put on like makeup for the first one. He has to like look decrepit because he has to be revived, and so he's got all that like you know. And this was you know pre Davy Jones. He couldn't just yeah. put on like you know pancake makeup and then they would just do it digitally. He like actually had to sit in the chair for hours like he's Doug Jones or something. <laughs> okay. Consummate professionals. If you want to see more tributes to our finest despians working today, like Michael mm-hmm. Sheen. Like Bill yes. Nighy, like Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, um, like Kate Beckinsale, yes, and Scott Speedman. Go you ahead. You know, Kate Beckinsale, she's she can't have it all. She's working in Hollywood and she has kids. Okay, she can do yes. it. Yes, <laughs> and she's still in a committed relationship with uh, with Len Weisman, I believe. They're still waking to work, right? I think so. Yeah, let's find I don't out. Know. Yeah. yeah. All right, hold on. I think again, the transitory nature of Hollywood. It's just it seems so at odds with a, a traditional family, like. Mm-hmm. Again, imagine you're shooting Underworld Revelation in um, in Budapest for three months out of the year. Like you know, it's in, it's hard. Okay, here we go. <gasps> oh no! 
but they divorced in November of 2019. Oh, bummer. I guess that answers that before Trilogy. True love doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> Can't last forever. Yeah. They didn't even have themselves in, in throughout uh, the pandemic uh, to comfort one another. That's a shame. Nope. Well, John, let me just um, push back on you. And I believe that true love does exist. Um, it may oh. take some detours, but it's always there. Look no further than one Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck. It's always there. It's always guys. The spark is always there. <laughs> you you might get lost, but you always find your way home. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> true love never dies. All right. And if you want more sentiments like that, go ahead. Give us a, a follow on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram. We're all there. Subscribe to us on uh, your podcast service of choice: Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We're all on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, go ahead and write us a review if you like the show. If, if you somehow thought this was funny or enlightening <laughs> in some way, go ahead, give us five stars, and we'll uh, we'll gladly uh, keep the show going. And uh, yeah, uh, build an aspiring stops uh, an aspiring stops <laughs> community together. All right. Yeah. Yes. And. Um... Did you mention the email? Sorry. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> okay, all right. And yes, if you want to reach out to us directly, you can always uh, email us at aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. We take recommendations. We take questions. We'll read them mm-hmm. uh, via while recording. And so, uh, yeah. Um, unfortunately, we won't be doing that for the next two weeks because we already got our movies uh, all picked out. So, uh, yes. John, go ahead and tell the folks what we're watching next week. I pray that it's lighter. <laughs> uh, ooh. Well, it's, uh, oh, Greg, it's exciting because it's another Akira Kurosawa joint. Uh, I don't think it is. <laughs> I think you got it. Wait, I think, who, I think you got it. Harry uh, somebody else, but it's not oh, Akira really? Kurosawa. Yes. Ah, crap. All right. Well, yeah. I messed up. I messed up there. Shoot. Well, anyway, well, now I'm without honor, and <laughs> I have no choice but to commit ritual suicide. So um, even though it's a beautiful day for baseball, it's going to be Harry Carey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's play two folks. And yes, look at uh, a film uh, from Japan that is not directed by Akira Kurosawa. This is a, this is a blind spot for me. I gotta watch. Uh, I gotta watch more. Like outside the see, it's really high on the IMDb top two hundred fifty. So I just assumed no, <laughs> like it's yeah. a Japanese film from the fifties. So I'm like, who else could have? It's about samurai. Who else could have done it? <laughs> like all the stars were aligned that it had to be that. So yeah. no, by this point in his career. The the 60s, uh, Kurosawa was moving away, John, you see, from the samurai uh, epics. Like, um, mm. he did The Bad Sleep Well, High and Low. These are crime movies. And um, and his first color movie was set in modern-day Japan in a in a, uh, in a slum uh, called the Deskaden. Mm. That's another great movie. Again, I could go on and on, and, and I will. <laughs> what, and so, like, decade, yeah. what decade was Ikiru? That's the only... The only one I've had any interest in because it's got that striking poster of the man in the, yeah, in the, swing, the swing set. Yes, that yes. was uh, from 1952. So that oh, was okay. that was between his his other two masterpieces, Rashomon and Seven Samurai. So oh okay, yeah. all right. In between then, he also did Scandal, which is another great movie um, it's about the press and yeah, a lot of a lot of great love there. Um, he also did an adaptation of The Lower Depths, um, which is a Russian short story, um, also adapted into Russian. And so like, <laughs> well, folks, that does it for this week. <laughs> Until next time, thank you, everybody. Yes, and please do keep smiling. We'll bend you over, then we'll take it around.